Well, hey again. So glad that you guys are here this morning. And um, I thank Brother Johnny for giving me a chance to speak. Um, it's it's kind of funny how that whole dynamic has changed when, when, uh, when I first started with the church. Uh, it was a requirement that staff preached every year, once a year, and at least once a year. And man, it just stressed me out all the time looking towards that day. And now I actually look forward to getting to speak. And so um, I appreciate the opportunity, not just to speak, but especially get to speak the Sunday after Easter, because it seems that's it's even that much more special. Easter is kind of the, the day that we've set aside to, to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And uh, to get to follow that up and kind of book in that is really neat. Um, and just on that subject, how good was the choir and the drama team last week? Weren't they awesome? So uh, super excited for that. God's been so good. Um, my hope this morning is following up with Easter that maybe I can get you to look at Easter a little differently. Um, we're going to talk this morning about transactions. And I know that sounds like a really weird topic um, to be speaking on, but hopefully by the time we're finished this morning, it'll make sense to you. Um, before we jump into to, to the message, I got a little short video I wanted to show you guys. This is about this is from a woman that, that had a really good transaction and she was excited about it. So let's open by watching that video if the sound room will cue that up. Thank you. 
You ever had one of those uh, just really great transaction moments? This morning, uh, I'm asking a couple friends of mine to come on up here, if you guys don't mind. I'm just going to do all kinds of stuff this morning. Just going to have fun. The biggest transaction that most of us will ever make in our lives is the purchase of our home. And uh, so if you guys don't know, if you're our guest, this is Austin and Laura. Um, they got married last year and just recently purchased their first home. And so I just thought it'd be cool to kind of talk to them for just a second about how that transaction went for them. And uh, maybe they can kind of talk to us about that, kind of set the stage for what we're going to be talking about this morning. So um, from the time that you guys made the decision that you were going to buy a home to the time that you signed the papers, how long was the process for you? Um, let's see. So I remember the dates. We found the house online on January 12th okay. of this year, and we closed on February 7th. 30 days. So they had like the fastest transaction of a home ever in history, right? Um, how many houses do you think you looked at before you settled on the one? Uh, well, well, I say unfortunately, that was the first house we actually went and looked at. So from then on, everything else afterwards was like, nah, not going to work. So basically, this is the transaction that nobody, everybody talks about once, but nobody really gets. Yeah. But it does happen, <laughs> apparently. We looked at like, I think, four or five houses total in one day, and that was the one that we That was it. Yeah. One of the things that I remember most about um, closing on our house, it seemed like I had to sign my name 650 times. How many times, because it's more fresh in your mind, how many times do you think you actually had to sign your name at the closing? Uh, probably to the point where I wish I had my name on a stamp. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Can anybody relate? Anybody bought a house recently? What was it like? And Laura can talk, too. It doesn't have to all just be you. What was it like when you got the, <laughs> when you got the first mortgage payment in the mail? <laughs> um, well, before then, we had been in an apartment, and rent is ridiculous, um, if anyone knows. Um, so honestly, it was actually kind of it's about the same, honestly, which yeah. was ridiculous. Um, but it did seem more real that you actually yeah, had Yeah, it, it was kind of like, okay, the fantasy's over. This is, <laughs> we have to pay for this. <laughs> We're not living for free. <laughs> That's right, because you actually started a transaction. You didn't finish it, because right. it's going to take 30 years to yeah, finish no, this one, right? When she looked at the date of, like, the, the, the term of the mortgage, she was like, really? <laughs> like, yep, that's life. <laughs> Last question, I'll let you guys go. Double question. All right, what do you remember the most about the transaction? And are you happy with the transaction now that it's done? Uh, what I remember most is probably, honestly, the stress. Because yeah. um, as soon as we made an offer, um, there was another couple that had made an offer. So you're just like, oh, we're not going to get the house. This ain't going to work out. Um, you know, we prayed a lot. Uh, and it just, I kept asking God. I, I asked him, I said, if this is meant to be, make it smooth. And obviously, under 30 days is that's pretty darn smooth. smooth. Um, so that's only God right there. Um, yeah, I was very stressed. A lot of paperwork. It's hey, fill out these 50 gazillion pieces of paper, send them back to us. Oh, hey, by the way, here's another 50 thousand thousand. This ain't a word. It's a word. It's a and word. mortgage, yeah, it's a it's word. Mortgage, yeah, totally it's a word. word. Um, just a lot of paperwork. Uh, but it was very stressful. But it was it was absolutely worth it. Happy with the transaction. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, guys. Give me a hand, guys.
In 2015, um, the largest corporate transaction in American history took place. Um, Dow Chemical purchased DuPont for $130 billion. The merger made Dow DuPont, the, the combined company, um, the largest chemical company in the world in terms of sales, and it moved the company up to number 47 on the Forbes 500 list of richest companies in America. Stuff like that happens frequently. The United States isn't, in, in the, the, the grand economy of things, a, uh, a country that's been here a long time, but even in our short history, we've seen a lot of major transactions. Um, one of the largest and of special interest to us here in Louisiana was the Louisiana Purchase. And for those of you who might not be up on your American history, um, that took place in 1803. That was the America's acquisition of all the Louisiana property, which was more than just the state of Louisiana. Um, that property actually encompasses now 15 different states and two provinces in Canada. It's a very large piece of property. Um, anybody remember who we got it from? France. Good job. I didn't remember. I had to look it up. So good for you, Richard. Um, it was a, we got it from France. Um, anybody remember what we paid for it? $15 million. Um, 15 million bucks, 11.3 million in cash and then 3.7 million in forgiven debts to France. And if that sounds like a if that sounds like a crazy bargain for that much property, consider this. That same 15 million dollars spent in 1803 when adjusted for inflation today, that transaction would be worth 600 billion dollars today. That's a transaction, right? The point is we're all familiar with transactions. We do them every single day. Every time you drive to the, the gas station and swipe your debit card to put gas in your vehicle, you've completed a transaction. Every time you write a check for that mortgage payment, you've completed a transaction. So it's something that we're all familiar with. Um, the dictionary defines a transaction this way. It says something transacted, an exchange or transaction of goods, services, or funds, a communicative action involving two parties that reciprocally affect or influence each other. My hope this morning is as we're kind of moving past the, the week that we've celebrated Easter is that I can have you stop looking at the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as simply an event and instead see it as a transaction. Not just a transaction, but the greatest transaction ever. So we're going to open our Bibles now. We're going to be in the, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, you can flip over there. That's going to be in the New Testament if you're not familiar. Um, 2 Corinthians, ironically enough, is right after 1 Corinthians, if you're trying to find it. It'll be right before Galatians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When you got it, say, I've got it. Good job. All right, I'm going to read several verses here, so hang with me. This is going to be worth it when we get to the end. It says, For we know that, the earthly tent, that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and we're burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that, is the mortal, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what's to come. Therefore, we are all always confident 
And know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Verse 11. Since then... We know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's plain to you and your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves again to you, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what's in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live no longer live for themselves, but live for the one who died for them and was raised again. 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In verse 21, this is where we're going to be this morning, so highlight this, underline this in your Bible. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me read it again. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, Brother Donnie, that sounds great, and I kind of get the point you're making, but maybe you're taking this out of context. I don't know if this is what the whole Bible's. Let me read you a couple other verses. You don't have to turn here. I'll read them real quick. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 25. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The words it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One more. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. I think as we look at these verses, we have no conclusion to come to except that Jesus Christ died for us. And because of his sacrifice, because of him taking on our sin, we can be credited um, with the very righteousness of God. Many of us that have been in church for a long time know the story. We know why we celebrate Easter. We know about the death and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. 
but I think we know that we celebrate it at Easter time, and as Christians, we celebrate it every day that Christ took our sin and, and has given us righteousness. But I think where we miss the boat sometimes is in that we see this as an event in history that took place instead of an actual transaction. And that's a big difference. Um, in verse 21 of 2 Corinthians, the first one we read, it says, He made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. He knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. There's a transaction there. Christ took our sin and endowed to us the very righteousness of God. He bore our shame, our guilt, our sin, our punishment. And in exchange, anyone who would put their faith in Jesus Christ receives the very righteousness of God. Literally, your ledger with your shame and your guilt and your stain is wiped clean. And in place of that, you receive the very righteousness of God himself. It's a transaction. For the Christian, and this is important for that we understand the difference, as a Christian, we don't serve God as a way to work towards righteousness. We serve God because in Christ we are already righteous. So why is this important? Um, verse 21 that we just read beautifully summarizes what happened through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and that he was lifted up. It says, Paul affirmed the perfect sinlessness of our Savior. Jesus was the only human that did not know sin. Yet God made him to be sin. And Paul's language here is really careful. Um, he didn't say that Jesus became a sinner, because that's not the case. But Jesus, at that moment, identified with our sin. He became the representative sin bearer for all of us. God treated Jesus in that moment as if he were sin itself. So when he made that, when he put those sins on Jesus Christ, it was for us. It was for our benefit. We are now joined with him in faith and in doing so become the righteousness of God. Again, Paul's language here is really careful, so we need to understand. He went further than saying we become righteous. He said we become the righteousness of God, and that's different. So, again, I want to make sure we understand it's a transaction. Christ took our sin and exchanged for us the righteousness of God. So why was this even necessary? Sin. It's as simple and as complicated as that. Sin is the reason that Jesus Christ had to die on the cross. Adam brought sin into the world. When he disobeyed God, he brought sin, and with sin, death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. And because of that, to, for us to be reconciled to God, we have to be made righteous. Let me ask you guys something. When you, for those of you that are parents, when you have your child, did you have to teach your child how to speak English? Did you have to teach your child the alphabet? You know, did you have to teach your child how to say yes ma'am and yes sir and no ma'am and no sir? I'm still working on that with the little one, but we're getting there. Yeah, the kid has to be taught that because they don't, they're not born knowing those things. They have to be educated. But let me ask you the opposite question. Did you guys have to teach your kid to lie? You have to teach your kid to manipulate? You guys know that Lee and I have a five-year-old named Addie, and she is beautiful and precious. And I'll be sitting on the couch, and she'll come over there, and she will ask me for whatever, a piece of chocolate or a toy or something. And uh, being the good dad that I am, I will say no. 
And my child, this beautiful child, in her response says, Okay, Daddy, I understand that even though that's what I want, that might not be what's best for me, so I appreciate the fact that you're looking out for my better interest. Is that, what your kid, is that how your kid responds? Yeah. My, yeah, mine either. So what actually happens is she comes in and says, Dad, can I have a piece of chocolate? And I'll say, no, baby, it's too late. You don't need all that sugar before you go to bed. She doesn't say anything. She exits the room. Well, you know where she's going? She's going to find Mom because she's going to ask Mom the same question. And then if Mom gives her the same answer, she's probably going to sneak to Lainey's room and ask Lainey if she can get her sister to help her. I didn't teach my child this. I didn't have to because we're born with a sin nature. Unlike everything else in life, nobody has to teach us to sin. We're born knowing how to do that. That's why we have to be righteous. We have to find a way to be righteous because we are separated from God because of our sin nature. The problem is we can't be righteous. It's impossible for us. And that's why um, Jesus Christ had to die. That's why we had to be reconciled to God in a means other than ourselves. But herein lies the beauty of God's plan. God himself provided the only sacrifice that was sufficient for us. God's perfect son fulfilled God's perfect requirement of God's perfect law. It's perfectly simple when we understand it. Jesus Christ died for our sins because he was the only one qualified to give us righteousness because he was the only one that knew no sin. So what do we do with all this? We understand that, that Christ died for us and we can be um, reconciled to God. What do we do with it? In October of 2018, the largest single-ticket lottery jackpot ever was awarded. The value? $1.537 billion. The winning ticket was purchased in South Carolina... And the moment those numbers were drawn, that little piece of paper, it became the most valuable piece of paper on planet Earth. $1.537 billion. But you know what? That paper is useless if it's not claimed. And some people thought that might actually happen because after the numbers were drawn... Months and months and months went by with nobody claiming the prize. But it turns out South Carolina is one of the few states where you can accept the prize anonymously. And this person that won was being smart because they were setting up a family trust and they were putting in place financial lawyers and financial advisors to make sure that when they did claim the prize that they had their life in order and everything was good. So they were being smart. In the same way, We've been given a gift beyond comprehension, beyond understanding. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. But it doesn't do you a lick of good if you don't accept it. On the back of that lottery ticket, there's a little date. And it says the time that you have to claim the prize, otherwise it's void. You don't have that with your salvation. None of us are promised tomorrow. None of us know how long we have here. We might live 100 years, or we might die of a heart attack walking out the door this morning. We just don't know. Are you willing to risk losing the greatest gift of all time 
because you were simply assuming that you had more time. And for those of us that have accepted that gift, we have a different question to answer. If you had won the lottery, finding a time to, to put together a bucket list of all the things you wanted to do, all the ways that you could bless other people with that financial blessing, it'd be fun and it'd be easy. But as Christians, we've been given something infinitely more important, infinitely more valuable. So as Christians, what are we doing with that? We should be so excited that everywhere we go, everybody that sees us knows that there's something different about us. But I'm afraid too often we keep it to ourselves and we hoard that prize and we don't do anything with it. So this morning, you have the opportunity to do something about it. If you're that person that's never accepted Jesus Christ, you've never put your faith in him, this morning could be your day. You may have walked in the door a sinner, but you can walk out the door today a saint. All you have to do is accept the transaction. If you are a believer, maybe this morning you realize that I've not really shared what God's given me, and I need to be telling everybody so nobody misses out on this. Maybe this morning God convicts you of that, Maybe God this morning is telling you that it's time I get back in church and get involved. I need to find a place that I can call home and maybe Live Oaks that place. Whatever the decision you need to make today, you have today. I can't promise you'll have tomorrow. But do what God's calling you to do because we have this time and it is a great transaction. So I invite all of you to make whatever choice, whatever decisions that, that God has laid on your heart this morning. Brother Johnny's going to come up front. He's going to be down here for you to pray with if you want to pray. If you just want to get down at the altar and just thank God for the greatest transaction ever, I think that would be appropriate. Maybe again. Maybe today is the day that you need to accept him for the first time. Whatever it is, you guys stand with me and let's go to the Lord in prayer.